Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Classroom 33 podcast. This is Pastor Dustin. I'm here with Steve Prudian, as always. And uh, today we are going to move along and we are going to visit the throne of God. Steve, yeah. what, are, what are we doing with the throne? In reality, the throne has a central focal point not only in scripture, but it's also the focal point of each believer. Right. Oftentimes, people practice a thing called religion, and religion becomes a substitute for the throne of God. Mm -hmm. And many times, a person will believe that they are an adequate Christian. In other words, they're, they're doing enough. Right. But however, they're doing enough on a weak battery. They're doing it in their own strength. And the fact is, 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 is that you can't do God in your own strength. Right. Because God's strength is far, far greater than we can ever imagine. Mm-hmm. However, God is willing to share his strengths with us. And therefore, he says there's nothing impossible with God. Right. But the converse to that is, even though we may think as human beings that we're accomplishing something, even if it's for God, the guarantee of it being success is a sometimes. Right. It, it's a maybe. Mm -hmm. In the in the winter, I plan on doing a, a teaching series on the most important tool in a Christian's toolbox. Okay. And the use of this tool comes straight from the throne of God. All right. It's a tool that we found we find all through scriptures. From in the very beginning, even to the very end. And that tool is called the tool of prayer. Yes. If you're a soldier and you got up in the morning and you were told, just do what you want to do today. Would that make sense to you if you're a soldier? No, no, not really. What is a soldier expecting each day when he gets up? Orders. He's expecting orders. That's right. And an order is given for what purpose? Uh, to give direction, to give purpose. To give, that's right, for direction. In order to be able to accomplish what needs to be accomplished for that particular day. Yep. And usually that order comes from higher authorities. Yes. Who have a plan. Yes. And we have a higher authority who has a plan. Yes, we do. And that is called God the Father. Yes. And in fact, God the Father loves us so much that he's assigned his son, Jesus, to be our advocate. That is correct. And on top of that, Jesus loves us so much that he doesn't want us to ever be alone. So he assigns the other part of the Trinity of God, which is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So... We have no excuse to say, 
I don't know what God wants. God never talks to me. Mm -hmm. How can I talk to God? He's so far away. If you say those things, maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit living within you. Maybe you have religion. Maybe. Maybe. But religion is not the throne of God. Right. Why would you define religion as a word? I guess uh, religion is more of a more of a practice, more of that that habit, that have to, that um, you know, definitely would fall to the side of legalism, right? The religion is the getting up on Sunday morning, putting on your best clothes, putting on your best attitude, your best outward appearance, going to church, presenting that, going through the motions. That's what I'm looking for. Going through the motions. That's what religion is. Religion to me is man's best philosophy of trying to imitate what God would be like and what he would want us to be like. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with imitating the true God. No, and there's there's nothing wrong with getting up on Sunday morning and putting on your best clothes and your best outward appearance. It's the why behind it. Well, it's it's that it's that I'm doing this because that's what I should do. That's why it's always been done before. Right. It right. should be done this way, so that's the way I'm going to do it instead of I really love God, and because I love God the way I love God, I'm going to get dressed up as best as I possibly can to go to his house and worship him and celebrate him. All too often, religion becomes like, get up and quack like a duck. It can. Really. Yeah. And oftentimes, religion is a lot of rain repetitions. Mm -hmm. The question is, is... It's okay to learn from repetition. Sure. But why would the Word of God say that it's a vain repetition? If it no longer affects your heart, it's a vain repetition. Now, I do know people that are in a more, I hate to say it this way, but more liturgical mm -hmm. because... The actual definition of liturgy is just the order and arrangement of a worship service. It has nothing to do with how it's arranged. But we generally think of, like the Catholic Church, the Lutheran Church, as a more liturgical church. And there's a lot of that repetition. For one person, that could be a very vain repetition. For the person standing next to them, it could be wonderfully meaningful. It's just a matter of how it's affecting your heart. I'm glad you said that, the heart. Oh, absolutely. Right. Because God wants our hearts. He does. Hosea 6.6, 6, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And what does that say? I want your heart, not your sacrifice. There's a reason that God arranged the tribes of Israel. And you'll read this at the beginning of the book of Numbers. 
He arranges the tribes around the tabernacle so that in the morning you wake up, you step out of your tent, you are facing God, the place where he is residing. You exit your tent in the morning and you are looking towards the throne of God. There's a purpose in that, and that's because he wants our heart. He wants to be our first thing. In reality, what do you think our priority is is when we exit our tent today? Uh, Usually my priority is to get to work because I'm already probably five minutes late. You know, I... Our culture, our society, has really integrated busyness as it's almost a virtue. You're judged by how busy you are. And the busier, the better. I think when most people get up, they're only thinking about themselves. They're thinking about what what they need to do right now. Yeah, like I'm five minutes late to work. I got to get there. Unfortunately, most people don't even give God a reminiscent thought. Most people. Most people. Most people. So, therefore, you're doing everything out of your own power, out of your own strength, and out of your own effort. Right. How do you feel by the end of the day? Worn out. Usually tired. Yeah. Usually tired. Well, the reason I want to talk about the throne of God is because we're called to come to the throne of God. Yes. Okay? Not only to receive mercy and grace, but also to receive strength for the day. Yes. I find that um, I'm no different than many other people. That when I do not seek God early in the morning, Mm -hmm. I'm usually stumbling through the day. I'm getting stuff done, but it's not going the way it—I know it's not going the way I'd like to have it go. Right. It's not not going smoothly, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, I'm not handling obstacles, as well when I have to handle them by myself. Right. But what does God say? What does God say? God says lots of things. He says, ask me for help. He does. Okay. This is as good as you can do it. Mm-hmm. You ready for some help? Right. Oftentimes he lets us get ahead of himself. Yeah. And it's kind of, I'm, I'm really kind of stuck on that analogy you used of a soldier getting up in the morning Um, because, and I don't know about every branch of the military, but they're standing orders. You get up in the morning and you do calisthenics. You do a basic workout that helps to keep your body primed and ready to do the chores that you have to do for the day, whatever your orders are, whether you're a mechanic or a cook or whatever else and you know to take it that step further imagine then your commanding officer comes up to you after your calisthenics for the morning your simple workout 
just to keep everything flowing and get everything moving and comes up and says, here's your orders. Let's go take care of them. And then your CEO goes with you and helps you. And, you know, if you're working on a Jeep engine or something, I don't know, um, you know, points out what's wrong with it, hands you the right tool, reminds you how to use it if you need to, reminds you what needs to be done, and is there prompting the whole way. Instead of waking up and going to, let's say, a bulletin board, here's your orders for the day, and then going off and doing it all by yourself and trying to figure it out. It's so much different to have that person with you. It's so much easier. It's a lot more enjoyable of a job to do when you've got somebody there with you. And at the end of the day, you're a lot less spent. We're called as believers in Jesus Christ. Yes. To be fit for the day. Yes. We cannot be fit for the day without him. Right. Right. So the reason I find the throne of God interesting and it it's hard to it's hard to explain this because a lot of people have a tendency to think it borders on either fantasy or the absurd. Yeah. Some people have to have an encounter with God or Jesus Christ to even pay attention to the fact that he's real. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people that was not looking for God. Right. Had no reason to look for God. Figured that I could figure everything out that I needed to do myself. Right. And I was moving in that vein because that's the vein that I was raised and brought up in. No reliance upon God, no concept. The fact that, yeah, there's a God, you know, yeah, he may have made this thing one time, but, you know, he did his part and now he's gone. Right. That was the extent of the religious training that I had. Mm-hmm. No, I couldn't do, I couldn't master all things well. I wasn't gifted in everything. Right. Okay. And those things kind of bother me a little bit because it's difficult to ask for help sometimes when you think that you can handle it yourself. But oftentimes as Christians, we go through life as Christians and we don't ask for help. Right. We think we can do it all of ourselves. Well, all this time, all this time, faithfully, every moment, every day, God is still sitting on his throne. Yes, he is. And he's saying, call upon me, and I will answer you. Yep. Okay? But what does that require, to call upon him and he will answer? What does that require? Uh, the word that comes to mind is humility. I have to volunteer. Yep. Okay? And volunteering and asking for help is a form of surrender. Yep. And a lot of us don't like the word surrender. No. No, because we're admitting a weakness. Right. But when we are weak, 
He is strong. He is strong. So, yes, we should commit our weaknesses. Dustin? Yes, sir. In 1968, I was uh, breaking the law. Okay. If you know anything about traffic in Boston, it backs up. It really yep. backs up at rush hour. Okay. Okay. And um, if you're um, young and you have a motorcycle, the last thing you want to do is be backed up in a bunch of traffic, sucking on everybody's tailpipe. Especially when you can walk faster than their motorcycle. Oh, in some cases, yeah. Yep. Yeah, the bicycles would be, would, be, would be ahead of you. Uh-huh. Okay. So this one day, it was a hot July afternoon. I was leaving a job that I was doing some 30 miles away from where I lived. Okay. And I hopped on my motorcycle, and I was hot and sweaty and tired. So I decided that I was going to do the wrong thing. Okay. I was going to drive on the soft shoulder of the road. Okay. Okay, they call it passing on a right. They do. Okay, on a, yep. sing on a single lane road. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So... I knew that was wrong, but it was expedient. Sure. Until. Until. All of a sudden, all the rest of the traffic came to a screeching halt. But I'm on a motorcycle. Right. I don't have the ability for screeching halts. Especially on the soft shoulder. So all I see is now why all of this traffic is stopping rather quickly. Mm -hmm. There's a great big, huge black and white Buick Electra. <laughs> Heavy car. Yep. And this car is making a left-hand turn on the oncoming traffic. Uh-huh. I was not expecting that. Nope. And the reason why everybody was stopped is because this person was already in the lane. Oh, but by the time I knew about it, uh -huh. I knew about it to get a bird's eye view of their of their vinyl top, vinyl black top. Okay. And as I was sailing, apart from my motorcycle, which was left behind at that moment, uh -huh. across this roof, I knew that this was not good. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. And as I got to the other side of the roof and I was going on the downward slope, uh -huh. I saw the curbstone along the road. Mm. I saw it and I knew it was coming and I was hoping I was going to miss it. But I didn't miss it. Oh. The only sound I heard was a crack. As far as I was concerned, that that was it. The last sound I heard was just a crack. Yep. Strangest thing happened. Now, don't doubt me or laugh because it's the truth. Okay. All right. The next thing that happened is, 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 is that I perceived that people were out and about trying to see what condition I was in and trying to help me. Okay. 
I thought that I could indistinguishably hear people speaking, but I couldn't make out what they were saying. Okay. At the same time that they were doing that, I was laying on the side of the street by the scudder, and I was growing cold. Okay. I felt myself growing cold. Next thing I saw is as I saw like a, a, a haze or a cloud, just something just hovering over me, trying to keep whatever heat was left in me there. But that didn't last long. Okay. The next thing that happened in this incident was I was lifted up in the clouds. Okay. And I got in front of this huge wall with a gate. And there was two words. Didn't know where the two words came from. It was not yet. Okay. And then I was right back down. Back in my body again. Wow. The next thing I remembered, and I had no concept of time. No concept of time, no concept of space. Right. 72 hours later, I woke up in a strange place, in a hospital. I yep. could tell it was a hospital as soon as what it was by looking around. I didn't know how badly I was hurt or injured at that point in time. My next thought was, is, oh, I'm awake. I need to get out of here. Right. I found out that I wasn't able to move on my own. Right. I felt pain as soon as I tried. Oofta. Right. So, anyway, you know probably the rest of the story. Yep. That, um, that it was a Catholic hospital because they thought I was a Catholic because I look like an Italian. In Boston, <laughs> they do that. <laughs> but yep. uh, but when, when the nurse told me that the priest had already given me last rites, so I didn't have to worry about if I closed my eyes again, I didn't wake up. I said, I'm not Catholic. And she went and didn't know what to do. She went and got the priest. Right. The priest came in and he said, I understand you're not Catholic. Who should I call? I says, I don't know. He says, don't you have a minister? No. He says, don't you go to church? No. He says, do you believe in God? I says, I've heard about him. Right. So he sat back a little bit and he says, you know. I says, what? He says, I don't know what kind of prayer there is for a nothing. And that's where he left me. Yep. And at that point, I knew, based upon what I was told, that I might not wake up again. Right. I had a lot of brain damage. But I didn't know I had a lot of brain damage. Right. But um, I said, okay. I says, I guess I'm going to need to make sure I cover my bets. Got to hedge them. Yep. So I made a deal with God. And I told God, I says, look, I says, I don't know what happened here. I says, but I says, it's like this. I said, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you exist. I don't know anything about you. I've heard about you, but I don't know what's true. I shall tell you what. I says, if I make it through this, I'll come and find you. Mm -hmm. If I don't make it through this, well, then I won't have to worry about it. I'll just come and give you hell. 
(laughs) (laughs) Spoken like a true nothing. That's right. (laughs) Well, ever since that day, ever since that day, God has put a tag on me. Yep. A leash on me. And he sometimes gives me a little extra line to let me know that I think I may think I know what I'm doing, but I find out real fast. I don't know what I'm doing. Right. So therefore, I found that the place where God dwells became very important. Yes, it does. And who he is became more important. And to try to have a relationship with him became paramount. Yep. Just because I was breathing and I could think, that didn't mean that I was out of the woods. Right. Okay? It was going to be a long process. Well, and that goes for everybody. It goes for everybody up walking around today. Mm -hmm. Just because you're breathing, thinking, doesn't mean that you've got all the time in the world to make a decision. Or to go looking and try to find out who God is. It could end just as abruptly as that car came into your lane. Mm-hmm. You know, I would hate to have a God that I could just go and pick what I wanted from him out of like a grocery store or a department store. Because the reality mm-hmm. is, is I would just pick what I want, but I would miss the greater good in who he is. Yeah, when we pick and choose, we tend to pick and choose the things that we like and not the things that are going to make us uncomfortable, which also happen to be the things that make us grow. Sometimes we um, treat church as picking and choosing Mm -hmm. the things we want to believe in about God right? and the things we want to act on about God. Mm Mm-hmm. But what, I, what I'm, I'm really burdened is this, is that I've been around long enough now and in enough churches now and had enough education now to realize that all of that is good, but what's paramount is honoring God on his throne. Yes. Okay? And the greatest worship that we have to God is the very reason he created us, is to have fellowship with him, which mm-hmm. means I want to talk with you. Yep. Okay, but I'm not going to force you to talk to me because he wants a willing heart. Yes, he does. So the series I'm going to teach, teach in the winter is how to enter into the throne room of God, how to hear him speak, mm-hmm. and how you can speak to him. Because most people think that it's an abstract it's, right. it's really not an abstract. We just make it an abstract in our own minds. Right. I love the picture of, um, of um, God himself coming and walking in the garden. Right. In, in the dew of the morning with Adam. And I can't even imagine, first, the intelligent level or the knowledge level that Adam had. Right. Okay, because it hadn't been spoiled yet. And the kind of conversations and the things that God would point out to Adam that we can't even visualize concept 
Right. We have all kinds of specialties today and all kinds of different scientists trying to figure out this little thing and that little thing. Right. But when God was there with Adam, he explained everything that he created, okay, in minute detail, and Adam understood it. Right. And the thing is, is, is that unless we approach the throne of God, we can't even understand in minute detail anything in the Word of God because he has so much to say. Right. But yet, without his Spirit to guide us, they're just words, they're just phrases, they're instructions, mm -hmm. they're ideas, and sometimes they're even prayers. But the reality is, is that we don't do them justice because we haven't surrendered our will to God's will. Right. So, getting on with our, our paper here. Okay. Okay. We have an invitation. We do. And the invitation is found in Hebrews 4:16. Yep. To predicate to predicate this this instruction, the writer of this instruction, he himself was invited to the throne mm -hmm. of God. But he doesn't like to talk about it much. Right. Okay. But he does leave hints in his writing here and there. And here is one of the hints. Would you like to read Hebrews 4.16? Certainly. It says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think it's easy to cry to God when we're in need. It's pretty obvious. You know, when we're, when we're children and we get hurt, we cry because we want attention. Right. Okay. Uh, adults cry in different ways, but they do cry when they have need. Oftentimes they try to address their need themselves, and they put themselves into greater need. Because what we do cannot satisfy because we are not God. Right. And if we go back a little bit on that verse in Hebrews, you know, anytime you see the therefore in Scripture, mm -hmm. you have to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? And uh, I know that's kitschy and whatever, but it's legitimate. And if we go back even to verse 14, you know, since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet was without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness. So it's through Jesus it's because of Jesus and through Jesus that we can even get to the throne and because and through him that we should come boldly. And that's just such a great comfort. Do you notice the descriptive words about that describe the throne? The throne of grace. A grace and mercy. Yep. Okay, the two descriptive words. Now, if we just read the words just as words, do they have a meaning? Not really. What makes them have a meaning? 
God gives them a definition. God gives them meaning. That's right. So if you see the word throne, that is synonymous with what? With God himself. Yep. Okay. So, but oftentimes we think that we have to approach God for mercy. Yeah. But, be, but before we have to approach God for mercy, he is grace. Yes. He is grace. Yes, okay, he is. So we approach him as he is. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, in your mind, how would you define the grace of God towards you? Oh, boy. Um, well, just generally speaking, um, you know, grace— Grace is not getting what we deserve. And I, quite frankly, deserve quite a bit of punishment. I spent a fair amount of time not being a very good husband and father. And uh, I, I deserve quite a bit of punishment for that. And God's grace is that Jesus took that punishment. Now, to go hand in hand with that grace is the mercy. And the mercy is getting the blessing we don't deserve. And God has blessed me greatly just in being obedient to him. Restored my marriage. You know, I'm a much better father than I ever was. And uh, before him, without him, going back to doing it with somebody else's power, um, with God, with God and through God, I've been a much better father than I ever was or could be without Him. And there's an expression about that. Yep. But for the grace of God. But for the grace of but God. But for the grace of God, you couldn't do it. But for the grace of God. Right. However, how did you have to get to that point? Uh, I I got to that point on my knees. You had to come. I had to come. You had to I come. Had, I had to come to no the No matter what's your condition. No matter what, I I could not have become the person I am today without surrendering to God's will for my life. I'm glad you realized that. Yep. Did you know that the most successful self-made some billionaires, right? Some kings, yep. Some presidents, all have the same thing in common. Do you know what that is? What's that? Judgment. Yep. And we, not being a king, okay, or a president, or a billionaire, we share that same thing with them. Yes, we do. But what is that? What's the difference that we have? Well, the difference is I know the judge. And I know my advocate. That's right. And he knows me. That's right. And what is held to your charge? Nothing. Nothing. Who is the richest of them all? All that claim Jesus is their Savior. Those are the richest of them all. Those are the richest. Eternal life. Okay, mm-hmm. does have a price. It does. 
What is that price? Giving up your own will in this temporary life. Surrender. Surrender. And once you surrender, what are you called to? Some people would call it the word faith. Mm -hmm. The Bible spells out it is obedience. Right. Because you exercise faith by being obedient. Oh, absolutely. In that same verse, there's another strange descriptive word. What is the other strange descriptive word that doesn't necessarily need to be in there, but it's, it's brought out for a reason? Would that be the word boldly? The word boldly, exactly. And what part of speech is the word boldly? Uh, is it an adverb? It's an adverb. Yes, I you passed my good. English lesson today. You did yes. good. <laughs> it's an adverb. Math, math and science were always my strong ones. <laughs> now, if we if we, if we took this verse okay. and we and we took out the word boldly, mm-hmm. and we put in this verse, let us therefore come weakly, meagerly, hesitantly, hesitantly to the throne of grace. How does that change it? Drastically. Do you know the differences for a person who will come boldly before the throne of grace and a person who will not? You know what the difference is? What's that? Their value of the throne of grace. Their value of the throne of grace. What they know that the throne of grace, okay, is able and will do. However, we in our own in our own spirits and our own minds and our own hearts, we have to know that God doesn't want us come begging. Right. Okay? He doesn't need to have us come groveling and begging. He would rather have us come to him boldly and profess our shortcoming. Yep. Ask for forgiveness. And ask for him to fulfill the need for why we're there. Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to the therefore. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with all of our weakness. He has been tested in every way that we get tested. The only difference is he passed. He passed the test. He lived without sin. Why? For you and for me. And with that, if we fully accept that and we embrace it, we should be coming boldly. We shouldn't be coming mildly or timidly to the throne because, and I, and I get it, our, our culture is that, you know, if I do something great for you, that needs to be repaid and it's less of a humbled and more of a humiliated in having that thing done for you. And so you don't come humbly to the throne, which you should be humble as well as bold, but you come humiliated to the throne. And that's not right. Because not only did Jesus do it for me, he did it for you. He did it for Pastor Rob. He did it for every person who... The least of these every person he did it for paul mm-hmm. for goodness sakes he did it for paul and paul has written and 
you know, if if he was still alive today, would tell you that he was the chief of sinners. He was the worst of the worst of the worst. He not only persecuted the people who worshipped Jesus, he persecuted Jesus himself post-mortem. And God did it for him. And, and what changed Paul around? What was it that stopped Paul in his tracks? A he light. was on a mission. There, what happened? He was struck by a light. He now, had an accident. <laughs> <laughs> Not unlike yours, because he got knocked off of his horse. I didn't ask what model he was driving. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's... As a parent, I don't want my gift to my child to humiliate them. It is out of the deepest love that I can conjure that I give my children gifts. And it doesn't even come close. No, it, it very much pales in comparison. But if I gave, you know, if I took my kid out to ice cream, and they were humiliated by that instead of humbled lovingly. You know, if I gave them a gift that made them, and then they turned around and became timid to come and ask me, then I'm doing something wrong. And it's about giving the gift for the sake of giving the gift and it is without any expectation of return that God gives the gift. And so many times in our culture, you give a gift with an expectation, which really means you're giving an obligation, right? If I give you $100 to go and do this, now I've just made you go do that. I've given you an obligation, right? God gives you $100 just to give you $100. Go. Spend it how you want. No obligation, no return. You don't have to report back how you spent it. You don't have to do any of that. And with that, we should be humbled enough to go boldly and to... Approach the throne as somebody who is worthy to be there, not as somebody who has no place in that space. I um, look at it this way. Okay. If God is going to be my God, mm -hmm. and he is going to be my commanding officer, then... I have to submit to the fact that he is in charge over me. Right. And I have to believe that if he's in charge over me, he's in charge over me for not only my benefit, but also his benefit. Yes. So we have a partnership. Yes. Because of the evidence of life and the amount of times that God has come and provided a need. 
or has come to my rescue, even from that very first moment. I have a great expectation. Yep. My great expectation is what I can't do, my God can do. Yes, he can. And I'm not going to try to figure it out myself anymore. I'm going to involve my partner. Right. Because my partner knows things that I don't know. Mm-hmm. So you'll have to ex- express, excuse this expression. Sometimes I just scream <laughs> to God. Uh-huh. And you say, well, why do you scream? I said, because I want to make sure he knows the intent, okay, of why I am here. Oftentimes, we approach God so meekly, mm-hmm. even in case of emergency. Right. When we should be approaching God in an emergency type of a setting, which is with urgency and with boldness. Right. You know, sometimes I, I think that when things haven't worked the way that I expected God to work, wasn't God's fault. Right. Okay? I have a tendency to think that I muddled it up. <laughs> yeah, it it's typically my fault um, when things go awry. Now, I, if, I, now, I can admit now I'm going to ask you a question, Dustin. Yes. If sometime today you had an occasion, and everyone should ask themselves this question, at some time today... If you were called before the throne of God, how would you feel about that? How would you approach that? What would you do when you got there? Oh, it's a good question. I'd probably be a little surprised, depending on how it happened. Um, I guess I imagine my reaction would be humble. You know, I would certainly kneel and not stand before the throne. Um, but I imagine the first words out of my mouth would be, thank you. That's about as far as my imagination can take me. I don't think I could say a word. I really don't. I think that I'd be just so enamored with his magnificence mm-hmm. and just the glory of his love right? that I would be speechless, overwhelmed. You know, it's interesting that it's easier to talk to Jesus that it is to talk to Father God. It is. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it has everything to do with um, Jesus being fully human as well as fully God. Um, but 
we know that Jesus understands our humanity. Mm-hmm. And I don't think God understands it any less. However, however, the the part of the Trinity that is Jesus that suffered in the way in a way that's much more than any of us will suffer. And what he did with that and all the trials and everything he went through as a fully human person, he had every temptation that I've had. There's nothing new under the sun. He, any trial that I experience, any temptation that I experience, Jesus experienced, and he was successful in it. When I go to the throne, I don't go anything more than a little child. Right. And when I go to the throne, I remember that Jesus has an invita- invitation. Mm-hmm. Child, come to me. Yep. Child, let come the, to me. Let and, the little and, children and I, come. And I want to go and I want to jump on his lap. I don't want any other kids <laughs> jumping <laughs> on his lap. This is my time. <laughs> Uh, somehow I imagine he has enough lap for everybody. Right. So that's how I approach the throne of God. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I can't approach the throne of God out of my own intellect. I can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Because the Bible says that you have to come to God how? Two criterias. In spirit yep. and in truth. Yes. So since we know what the spirit, so. who the spirit is and we know who the truth is, then it should be pretty clear how we have to come to God. Yeah, that's you know. In 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 looking at the throne of God, mm-hmm. um, my wife she says you forgot something. I says I didn't forget. She says well you omitted something. I says I did omit. She says well she says you talk about you talk about um, Isaiah's experience. At the throne of God. I says, yes. Yep. I says, because it was very genuine and very, very descriptive and honoring to God. Mm-hmm. She says, you talk about Paul's hinted or alleged visit to the throne of God. Right. I says, yes, I do. I says, because Paul is much like us. Okay, Paul has been changed. He's been redeemed. Isaiah was before we were saved. He was under the old covenant. Yes. I says, so I have to identify with Paul. I says, but then you go and you take a look at the Apostle John, who had the last experience, and his experience pretty much couples Isaiah's experience. Yep. If you look at it, I says, the reason I says I'm, I'm omitting or I'm not including Ezekiel's experience Right. I says, this is so weird, I can't figure it out. <laughs> I says, it becomes distracting about these whirling wheels. I says, I can't follow. I says, I can't follow a video game, never mind whirling wheels. Yeah, the Ezekiel's gets a little weird. And Daniel's, too, is a bit strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Isaiah's, although... Although he is Old Covenant, what he sees and what he describes is understandable. It's relatable. It's uh, accessible, I think, is the word that I really want. And so— You want to read either one of those two verses out of um, 
Although to be Isaiah 55, 6 or Isaiah 6. Sure. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I thought about that in relationship to Isaiah's time. Mm -hmm. I thought about that in relation to Isaiah's time, and I said, this is a strange statement for a person living at this point in time to make that statement. Because if you remember your Old Testament history, what was the state of Israel like as far as their worship to Jehovah in the beginning of Isaiah's ministry? Uh, they were pretty much fully apostate. <laughs> yeah, they abandoned God. Yeah. They actually mocked God. They did. And here's, who, who's reading this? Who's going to listen to this? Okay, because you got to understand. Well, what, obviously no one. I mean, they went into exile. But but it's not just for them. Mm -hmm. It isn't just for them. But do you know who he would proclaim this to? Everybody. Do you know what the setting would be that he would actually make that statement? Well, he'd go to the temple. He'd go to the temple. And okay. he'd, he'd stand up on the dais in front of the temple. Exactly. And, and shout it out to everybody who People think listen. he's just a poet. Or he's just the guy writing a book or writing a story. Right. Now, he's in action. He'd, he'd shout it at the priests. He's in action. He even, he even yeah. teed off a few kings. He yes, lost he... his head with the last one. Well. <laughs> but look at there that verse, that. okay? Yeah. What is he saying? It's declarative. What is he declaring in this? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God's going to go away. He's here right now. Take advantage of that. What's the word that is not seen but is implied? Who seeks? Mm -hmm. You seek. You. You call. Yeah. Do it already, will you? The question is, is that when we pray to God... Do we seek? Do we call? Or, we, or do we basically do a mealy mount or expect a crackerjack kind of response? Whatever comes out of the box, we'll take. <laughs> <sighs> well, that depends on whether or not you're going boldly. Uh -huh. You know, the thing is, is that um, since it's a declarative order. Right. Oftentimes, we forget the way. Right. And the thing is, 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 is that you have not because you... Will not. Because you ask not or will not. Right. Okay. Uh, the next thing that I have down on Isaiah. Isaiah 6 says what? What's his vision? Isaiah 6, you want a specific verse, isn't it? Verse 8. I'm saying, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, or praised, 
And the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, angels, flying. Yep. He saw the the glory of God. I always had a hard time about this thing called the train. (laughs) Think about that. Actually, I, I grew up with train tracks a quarter mile from my house, uh-huh. either direction. I'm so, they so, trains so, yeah. filling the temple? Trains filling the temple. <laughs> but No. But what is the definition of the train of the robe? What is the train of the robe? That's the part that trails behind you That's as you right. walk. Yes. That's right. But it fills, fills the temple? Fills it. Are we talking about material here? Are we talking about something else here? I don't know. I'm I'm guessing you know I'm guessing it's figurative. Do you know how when but when God passed by and he told Moses, You can't look upon me and because otherwise, otherwise you'll die. Right. But I'll let you look at my train. Yeah. <laughs> he says you can see the caboose. Uh-huh. Okay. And what happened to Moses after he saw the caboose? His backside. His face was shining brightly. He actually absorbed some of the glory of God. So when you look at this, and -hmm. you look at this picture, okay? Isaiah doesn't have a way of really saying it. But he's saying that I saw God, but now I see God, okay? I saw what was left over from God where he's passed by. Mm-hmm. And where he's passed through, his presence is there. It just fills everything. Right. It's kind of like, um, a, it's a terrible analogy to use, but um, in Peter Pan with Tinkerbell, every, everywhere she flies, there's a little trail of fairy dust right behind her. And maybe that's maybe that's a terrible analogy. I don't know. But God leaves... He he leaves an impression. Do you know what this says to me? What does that say to you? This says to me, okay, when I see God on his throne, I might not see him really clearly, okay? But I know I'm seeing him because I'm seeing his glory. Right. But what this says to me, okay, there's so much to God that part of God that I obtain— Okay, that he leaves with me, okay, as a gift, mm-hmm. is the gift of his Holy Spirit. And right. now the question is, does God only take one part of my life and says, you can have this little piece of me? Or does God say, you can have all of me? But yet, yeah. how much do we give back to God? Pieces, 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 bits and pieces. And you know what? How often, how often would any of us have the faith Mm -hmm. to approach the throne, okay, without Jesus Christ? Right. Could you do that? I couldn't do that. I'd be scared to death to approach God based upon my humanness. Oh, for sure. But I can approach God with my advocate, with Jesus Christ, who's claimed me for his own, 
and not for what anything that I've done, but for everything that he's done. Right. And I can almost imagine it like coming to the edge of God's glory and falling down on my knees and not being able to proceed and having Jesus come and take me by the hand and Lift bring you me up. into and bring me into that glory and into the presence and of God, what, because it, without without him, there is no going there. And that's what he does. Now, yep. how many people, when they pray, don't even come close to knocking on the door? Do they know that they can knock on the door? If they've read it. <laughs> but they don't understand. They can read it, but not understand it. Right. And the reason they don't understand it is just because of, usually, they don't spend enough time meditating upon it. Right. They don't spend enough time there. Oftentimes, we want to treat God's throne like it's a drive through food chain. Okay, this is what I want. Here's my order. Yep. Okay, I'll pull up to the window. You give it to me. I'll, I'll tip you. You give me, give me what I ordered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, who's that? Honoring the glory of God? No. No. But how many times graciously does he humor us and out of his love, even though we are not necessarily honoring him, he still provides for our needs? Yes, he does. He does. In um, the next section here, we're going to go to John now. And then we'll finish up. Okay. Oftentimes in Scripture, something that happens in Scripture at a certain place will be confirmed in another place. And now we see John, okay, entering into the throne room of God. Right. And he's giving us his best description from whatever vocabulary. I'm amazed that he has any vocabulary at all. Okay, yeah. to explain this. And, and like I said, it's very similar to what Isaiah had reported. Yep. But what it did, what this does is, is, is that under the new covenant, the new covenant affirms the validity of the old covenant. Yes, it does. And because... We have two truths, actually three truths with Paul, okay, to confirming that there is a throne of God, mm -hmm. that there is a heaven, Yep. okay? We can rest assured that the word that we read, we can believe. Yes. Now, why do you think it's so important for us to know about the throne of God as John is given the revelation. Well, the last time we've seen the throne was under the old covenant. Mm-hmm. Actually, we seen we got glimpses of it with Paul, what he's having to say, because John is writing after Paul. Right. Right, but Daniel sees the throne of God. Mm-hmm. Isaiah, Ezekiel. Um, they very clearly see the throne of God. And mm -hmm. Paul gives us glimpses, but this is the first time mm -hmm. we've got a real, real good look at the throne of God since since Christ. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can tell by the characters mentioned in this one. Right, it's different. Mm-hmm. Right, the throne room has changed slightly, and I think it's imperative for us to know. And what's interesting, because if you haven't picked up, we're talking about the Book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And what's very, very interesting to me about Revelation is how much of it isn't, how, how much of what's written there, no Christian will experience no current Christian will experience. So tribulation saints might experience, but those who come to Christ pre-rapture, we won't experience that. So the book of Revelation is written really for those who are going to experience it. And the fact that he starts with write these letters to these churches because there are going to be people left over yes from each from a type of each type. of those churches yes. right there's going to be somebody left over from a church like the one in Ephesus like mm-hmm. uh, Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia they all and have Laodicea. their strengths and weaknesses they all have their strengths and they all have their weaknesses and there are going to be people left over from a church like those and so here we are right at the beginning with these letters that are, you did this wrong. And, and when you, or you did this right. And you did this right. Um, but the people who are left from that church or from that type of a church are going to be able to read that and go, that's it. That was my stumbling block. That's the identifier. Now, because Jesus knows my stumbling block, I can move forward. And there are people that should be able to see that right now that won't be able to see that until after. Mm -hmm. And then we go to the throne room. We go from the stumbling block directly to the throne room. And it's just incredible to go from, this is what I have against you. This is what you did wrong, church. Now we're in the throne room, and now we are worshiping God. And what brings us there? A door, right? All of a sudden, there's a door. Well, that door is Christ. You know, and I... I know I've talked about it recently um, in a couple of different places. I don't think I mentioned it here, but um, going through Genesis with another group, talking about Jacob's ladder, mm-hmm. right? And Jacob's ladder, that's the cross. We just, we know that, right? We have we have the hindsight is twenty twenty. We know that. A double wrong cross. Yeah, <laughs> right? The cross is also the door. I mean, John steps through the door that's only put there because of the cross. And now we are in the throne room of God. And 
holy cow, is that an impressive, impressive room. Why don't you read what John writes, he saw? Because there's two things I want to focus in on there. All right. So do you, do you want to read, do you want me to read it off yeah, of the notes? Ahead. Yeah, or? go ahead and read it off the notes. All right. So the Apostle John in Revelation professes he heard, saw and heard a multitude of voices praising God with holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And it shook the place and it was filled with smoke. This is the power of the music and the praise and the prayer of the saints. The smoke is the sweet essence of the Holy Spirit. It's like a waving a censer with burning incense before the Lord. The saints were all worshiping both the Father and Jesus. There are recognizable people there. There's the 12 elders of the tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. Um, and that's... Well, do we keep reading? It's one you've kept the last two words. How are they seen? In godly bodies. In godly bodies. Yep. And, you know, it's, a, it's an echoing of Isaiah. The, in po a lot of ways. the positive I want you to see here, okay? Yes. As glorious as the angel singing. And the praise to God is, okay, mm -hmm. I focused in on something that a lot of Christians do not focus in on. All right. And what is that? The human beings that have been changed that are present. Yep. Because some people in Christian faiths do not believe that when a Christian dies that they get their souls get to go to be with Jesus and with God, that they just go to the ground and they wait. It's soul sleep. But this proves these guys aren't sleeping, that their presence is with God, okay? And John recognizes, okay, that they're not some weird type of creature. They are men. They are Glorified men. men but Glorified, men, yep. Okay? What this says to me, okay, is not only do we have Jesus as our representative before God, we also have the Jews, of course, have the elders of Israel. Yes. But we have the disciples of Jesus Christ. Yes. Before God. I don't have to worry about what happens when I die. I'm not going to be sitting waiting. I'm going to go up. And go, go up and see this. And you know what I'm going to hear? Holy cow, look who's here. Yeah. <laughs> right. I sometimes wonder if all the holy, holy, holy is just holy, holy, holy is for every person that Christ has redeemed. You don't know. We don't know. But think about it. Isn't it holy? That Christ has redeemed us? Yep. Because without being holy, could we be there? No. No. And I had an idea in my head and it popped out. So I guess we don't get to discuss whatever that thought was. Um, my two things that yeah. I want to get down, down sure. to is if this happened to you, and you had a vision like this, what would be your response? It's going to be personal. But the question is, you have to think about it. 
Right. What is your response? The day that you get to be present in the throne of God, what is your response? Do you think about it now? I've, I've thought about it some. I've had, uh, you know, like interview type questions. Um, the, I was asked once, um, you know, you die and you go to the throne before God. And what will you say? What would you say? And what when, when, if he asked you, if God asks you, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? I had somebody legitimately ask me that question once. And I'm not going to tell you what my answer was. Because my answer can't be your answer. And your answer can't be my answer. Your answer has to be your answer. They might be the same, but it's got to be your answer. I have to give credit where credit's due. Right. Right. It isn't me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know. And I got nothing to bring. And that's your answer. Now, my answer is Jesus. Yeah. Brought it all. Yes. Already. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's the crux of the Christian answer. Mm -hmm. um, but, but you know what? If people don't oh, yeah. think about this now while they're alive, they're missing a great opportunity to be able to value the throne of God. Right. And that's part of why I don't give my answer. You have to come up, the listener has to come up with their own answer. They do. As opposed to just trying to understand what my answer is and then assimilating that. Our answers oftentimes are uh, related to uh, life experiences. Oh, absolutely. Okay, and they're also related in those life experiences to our relationship to God through that period of time. Right. Now, I cannot say I don't know anybody ever that I've met who says that every prayer that they have has been answered the way they wanted it answered. Never met a person like that. Me neither. And one time I was baffled by this question about why can't I get my prayers answered? And an older, wiser man said to me, he says, he says, do you think your prayers are about you? I said, well, yeah, I'm praying them about me. He said, right. no, no. He says, God has a far grander, bigger plan. He'll answer your prayers if it's about him. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, for crying out loud, people were taking pieces of cloth. They still do that, it. That Paul had touched and using it to heal other people. Right? Paul was an absolutely incredible healer through Jesus. Paul only healed one person. Paul only had one testimony of one healing. The Apostle Paul. Unless you know something that I don't know. I'm thinking when he visited Ephesus before, um, about the time that uh, Simon the Sorcerer burned all of his books, mm -hmm. um, people were touching him with cloth and healing others with it. And But Paul wasn't doing the healing. 
Well, no, Jesus is doing the healing. Right, but there's only one miracle that was attributed to Paul in his ministry. Okay. And I forget what it was. I'd have to go back and look at it. All right. Well, that's a little off the beaten path of where I was going. The point I'm going to make is actually directly related to what you were saying about having all your prayers answered. Uh We all know Paul to be an incredibly powerful apostle of Christ. Yes. And he had many prayers that were answered. Um, he yeah, but was one that didn't, and one that didn't, one and that, that didn't. thorn in his side never went away. And he prayed multiple times for it, but he resolved and it never went away. And he resolved just to deal with it mm-hmm. because he figured I prayed for it three times. God said no, so I'm done. And if Paul didn't have every prayer answered the way he wanted it answered. Rest assured, I won't either. Mm-hmm. When I look at Paul and his thorn in the flesh, and this really has nothing to do with the lesson, right? I look at Paul as looking at myself. Oh, yes. And I say, okay, God, I says, I get it. I says, he has a higher rank than I have, but you still got him on a leash. <laughs> I right. says, so I understand. I says that, that, your love is perfected in my weakness. Exactly. I says, so, I says, I understand that you need to keep me leashed to keep me close. Yep. Strong-willed people, and I know Paul by his very actions, the very um, um, motivation that he had to persecute the Christians. Oh, yeah. Tells me that he was a very strong-willed person. Incredibly so. Okay, yep. and strong-willed people, okay, have to be corralled and hogtied, okay? <laughs> From time to time, yes. For, for, for God to be able to drag them where he needs them to be dragged to. Yep. I can agree with that. Well, let me see. What else do we have here? Um a more important question is, are you ready to stand in God's presence at his throne? What makes you ready to stand in God's presence at his throne? For me, it's the confidence that I have in his son. It's because of what Jesus has done. Yep. But in reality, Jesus could do nothing if we didn't let him. Correct. So we have to be willing to let Jesus do what he needs to do in our lives. And subsequently, when you get introduced to the throne, it's not because of who you are and what you've done. Right. It's because of who Jesus is. And he is our ambassador. Yes. Yep. And in Hebrews, it refers to him as our high priest, which I know culturally we don't really understand, but we don't understand the workings of a high priest. Nope. 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 Not unless you've uh, studied the Old Testament and looked for it, which I haven't. So I can't say I fully understand it either. All right. Is there anything else you want to add? Well, let me tell you, if, in fact, we don't get interrupted one week me, one week you, and we couldn't do the podcast, maybe there's a reason for that. The next 
the next one is going to be on the Apostle Paul's visit to the throne. Okay. Okay. We touched on John. We touched on Isaiah. Now we're going to talk about was Paul in his right mind? Because <laughs> he won't don't... even admit that it was himself. Nope. Nope. And... Uh... <laughs> yeah, I don't know where my thought was going. I've, I've had a couple of those today. You know, so. one of the things I want everybody to know who's listening, and if they want to tell any, anybody else, I just in the fall, there's a method to my madness. Yep. And it's not my madness. It's, it's really the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Oh, for sure. He wants our church to be not a talking church, but a praying church. Yes. And the thing is, is, is that People think they're praying, but they really don't know how to pray. And, but before you can know how to pray, you have to know about whom you're praying to. Mm -hmm. And that's what we'll be doing. But with that, we'll also be exercising different tools on different types of prayers. All right. Very good. Well, thank you very much for coming in, Steve. Have a great week. 